Good morning. Hi, my name's Mike. I'm going to be continuing our series in the book of Colossians, which, as Adrian mentioned earlier, we started really some time ago now and have been in and out now and then, but we're back in. And um, I'm going to be continuing that this morning. But before I do, I wanted to actually start by um, telling you a little bit about myself. And so what will come up on the screen is my life on screen, or at least a, a significant part of it. So what you'll see here is a uh, that's a picture of me and my wife, Becca, um, as is a story of boy likes girl, boy, boy meets girl, boy likes girl, girl not so sure. Um, three years later, girl gives boy a try, and boy very quickly puts a ring on it. So that's our story. <laughs> and um, she's never looked back since. Um, I've got th- I'm a father of three daughters. So up here is Chloe Grace. Uh, Chloe Grace is wonderful in many different ways. She is a determined girl, okay? So she can be found most uh, weekends at the moment cycling around our grove trying to beat all the boys who are much older than her on her bike. And one of my favorite memories of her is taking her to Rush and she was on the jousting bit and then a lad who was age 10 and she at the time was age six came to take her on and she smacked him down. (laughs) And uh, I was like, that's my girl. Uh, that's Anna Rose. Anna is, um, is five years old, and Anna has a proclivity for the superlative, which means that Anna can often be heard saying, this is such a wonderful day, I couldn't possibly be happier, and things like that. So she, she, kind of, she often floats on that, on that kind of a cloud. And Ivy is a force of nature, okay? And we love her for that. Um, just this morning, I was carrying her in my, in my arm, going to get her a hot chocolate, and she said to me, Daddy, 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 you are a boy. <laughs> and I thought... Glad you, glad you think so, Ivy. Um, so, the, and those are the girls. And this morning we had lots of fun and games and screams and shouts and what have you, and yet we got here in one piece. And that is often what it's like to get three girls ready to come out anywhere, to be honest. Um, up in the, in the top right-hand corner, that's to indicate that I um, am an honorary lecturer. So I do some lecturing in um, medical ethics. Uh, here is the fact that I'm actually a doctor, not currently doing any clinical practice, but that's been my background, and that's in palliative medicine, often is where my, my specialty is. Um, Oasis Church is because I'm here right now, as you know, and uh, get the privilege of serving Oasis and getting to lead you fine people with the great team of um, staff that are, that are doing that. Um, down in the bottom corner is a, a football because I play football, and sometimes I'm quite good at it. Um, <laughs> I'm an Arsenal fan, which means that life is painful, but it could get better, or it could get worse, because our manager is changing. Um, I love music, and so I love um, listening to live music. I actually love the bands that Chris has been part of, both Mondo Royale and um, uh, the, the band who's in before that, whose name I've suddenly forgotten, Midsummer. Um, and, and I love Strange Ghost as well. I love live music. I really enjoy stargazing. I've, I've often been found standing outside just looking up at the universe thinking, wow, um, that's one of my favorite pastimes. This is my brother, Joel. Joel's got Down syndrome and alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. He's fed by a PEG tube, um, which is colonized with MRSA. He's often in and out of hospital, and he's one of the best people I know. He's just so full of life, so full of fun. He was best man at my wedding, had everyone in stitches telling untrue things about me. Um, and I really like cake. Just love it. I think, you know, um, the, the, the Great British Bake Off may be the best show to hit our screen since Match of the Day. Um, and I'm a Christian, and I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me. 
And the thing is, that is a snapshot of my life on screen. And do you know what? All of that is holy and sacred before God. No one aspect of that is more sacred than the other. All of it is lived out in the presence of God. In Acts 17, 28, it says, in him we live and move and have our being. That means every one of those contexts is an opportunity to receive from God his grace and goodness to me, which is the posture of faith. And every one of those um, different expressions is also an opportunity for me to enjoy God and to love him, which is the posture of worship. And also every one of those is an opportunity for me to, with the love I've received, love other people, which is the posture of service. Everything is worship. Everything is service because everything is open to the grace of God. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning, particularly within the context of households and work. But before we get there, I thought it might be helpful just to have a little bit of a reminder of what Colossians has said to us thus far, because it's been a while since we looked at it. We've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Colossae, and we've, we've summarized it as Jesus changes everything, full stop. And this is what we've seen so far. In Colossians 1.5, it says, the gospel has come to you. So, so the gospel has come to the Colossian believers, and everyone who's in this room now, the gospel has come to you. We've been singing about it, and we're hearing about it week on week. What gospel? It's the gospel of God's grace. What is grace? Grace is Jesus offered to us. That's what grace is. All that he is given to us in him is righteousness and hope and peace and life, all the things that we lack, and is freely given to us in giving us him. That's the gospel of grace that's come to us. And faith is the receiving of that gift. It's I see him offered, I need him, I want him. That's faith. The gospel has come to you. And this gospel, the gift of Jesus, has transferred you from the dominion of darkness, characterized by the pursuit of self, which is hellish, into the kingdom of the Son, who God loves, which is characterized by the love of God, which is heaven. And in this kingdom, Jesus is Lord. And in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, we saw what kind of a Lord Jesus is. He's the Lord of creation, creator and sustainer of all things. He's the Lord of new creation, the firstborn from among the dead, risen so as to make all things new. And he's the Lord of reconciliation, fully man, fully God, who on the cross by shedding his blood is winning everything back to God. That's who he is. In Colossians 1.27, it says that we now through receiving this gift of grace, which is Jesus himself, we have Christ in you, the hope of glory. This deposit of hope that actually one day the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God and the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. In Colossians 2.9, it tells us that in Christ the whole fullness of God lives bodily and you have been brought to fullness in Christ. He has every good thing within him because he is God. And he's been given to you that you may have every good thing in him, in Christ. And so we don't base our confidence in our behavior, our performance, our feelings, our state of mind, or our personal history, which for me is really good news because those things go up and down and up and down and up and down. We based it on Jesus who's been given to us. Colossians 2, 12 to 13 explains that through faith in him, we join to him, which means that 
the death he died, he died for us. And we've been buried with him. What's been buried? This life consumed with self, the life in the flesh, which destroys peace and life and joy. And we've been raised with him to newness of life. What have we been raised to? Life in the spirit, able to love God, enjoy God, and love people. And Colossians 3 verse 11 tells us that all worldly distinctions, therefore, fall off now. Ethnicity, background, religious performance, social status, it it doesn't count for anything because, as Colossians tells us, Christ is all and in all. And so, all are of equal value. As Paul puts it in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so you cannot look at the person next to you and say, this person's of more value than I am. This person means more to God than I am. This person's more significant than I am. No, in Christ, all are called saints, children of God. Which also means, you could have added to that list, marital status or whether or not you have children. Two things that we'll be looking at a bit this morning, which do not make any one person more valuable than another. Because in Christ, all are equally valued before God and shown to be of immense worth of his love. And then in Colossians 3, verse 12 to 16, it says, well, since then you are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. That's a state, that's a fact, not a feeling. Then you're able to start living towards others, giving out what you've received. What have we received? Well, Colossians 3, 12 to 16 talks about compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, the word of Christ. That's the context into which we're now going to read this next passage, okay? Jesus changes everything, full stop. All hope is found in him. And so with that in mind, we're going to open up our Bibles to Colossians 3. I'm going to start reading from verse 17. And it says this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Okay. So, What is the principle behind that passage? Because there's lots in there which can make you feel a bit nervous to start with. What does this mean? What does this not mean? How does this relate to me? Well, in Colossians 3.17, it gives us the guiding principle. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. N.T. Wright explains that acting in someone's name means both representing him and being empowered to do so. And so, if you embrace Jesus at the center of your life, 
then all that you do in life represents him. And he's empowering you to do that. Which means that everything is worship. And everything is service. Everything is a means of the grace of God. And so a good screening question for any activity or interaction or decision that I'm doing at any present moment is, can I honestly offer this up as worship to God? You can ask that of any moment. So when I'm playing football and I'm just about to stick it in the back of the net, can I offer that up as worship to God? Yes, I can. When I'm making my my wife a cup of tea, can I offer that up as worship to God? Yes, I can. When I'm starting to be demanding of her, expecting that she should always do things my way, can I offer that up as worship to God? No, I can't. It's a good screening question. Can I offer this up as worship? As worship? And secondly, am I honestly representing Jesus to this person right now? These are good screening questions. And we're going to start to apply some of those to household and to work. So first, let's look at households. And again, it's important to look at some of the context into which Paul was writing In Greco-Roman culture, um, there were three groups of people that were generally treated really badly. Jonathan Stamp is a historical consultant for a drama series set in ancient Rome. And he says this, not Christian, he says, the people who are always left out of history are the poor, disadvantaged, and women. In Greco-Roman culture, women children and the disadvantaged had very few rights, very low status, and were completely subordinate to strong, rich, powerful men. Not so in the Bible. Not so in the Bible. Against that backdrop, the Bible constantly elevates these groups to a place of equal honor and value and dignity and status. So if you look at the way that women are um, portrayed in the Bible and lifted up in the Bible, well, they're recorded time and time again as the most faithful followers of Jesus. They're constantly valued and empowered by Jesus. They're the the first witnesses of the resurrection, entrusted with the news that Jesus is alive, new creation has begun. And they have this very significant role in the early church. If you look at children in uh, in the scriptures, children are held up by Jesus as the standard for discipleship and faith. They're invited to him and received by him constantly, and they are addressed in Paul's letters as full members of the church. Children who in that society were considered nothing. No, not so in the church, not so in Jesus' eyes, not so in God's kingdom. The marginalized. Well, Jesus actively sought out the marginalized, giving them a place of honor before him, blessing them constantly and explicitly affirming them as of equal status with the privileged. That's the biblical standard against the Greco-Roman standard that was being written into at the time. And what does our modern culture say? Well, still now, women are often objectified and disempowered in different ways. And actually, culture's been reacting against that recently to protect the equal rights and value and dignity of women, and that's a really good thing. But we can be in danger sometimes of confusing the issue by denying any differences between the genders or even denying gender is such a thing at all. You've got to be careful with that. You've got to be wise with that. How about children? Well, children, sadly, are suffering more mental health issues than ever before, according to stats often considered a hindrance to career and ambition. 
enjoying less relational contact due to the prevalence of screens. How about the disadvantaged? Well, they receive fewer benefits and limited opportunities, and there are lots of complex issues behind it all. And so into that contemporary culture and that Greco-Roman culture, the biblical um, message comes through about what it means to enjoy being a household under the lordship of Christ. So what are the characteristics of a Christian household? They are, as, as was listed in, in Colossians 3, 12 to 17, or come up on the screen, com- compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, and forgiveness, and love, and peace, and thankfulness, and joyful song. These are the things that are listed just before. These are to be the characteristics of a Christian home. And so there is freedom for each individual to express themselves within that. In the same way as there is freedom within a a spontaneous musical piece for different instruments to express themselves in order to add to the harmony. That, that's not an excuse to play out of tune. It's about adding to the harmony. Similarly, we've been set free to be who we truly are, loved by God, in order to play our part and add to the harmony. And so in that context, Paul starts to talk about marriage. Colossians 3, 18 to 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5 also talks about marriage and presents marriage as, a, as actually it's a picture that's supposed to point us to the relationship between Christ and the church. Husband and wife come together and the two become one, beautifully complemented. Interest fixed on the other, self-giving, other-affirming. So you say, all that I am I give to you and all that I have I share with you. Actually, in our particular marriage, I did not have a lot to give to Becca. But I got, I got a car and a house out of it, so it was really good for me. She's maybe received some things since. The two become one, a beautiful union. And this images the union between Jesus and his bride, the church. He gives us himself. Remember Colossians 2.9. In him all the fullness of God dwells bodily, and you've been given fullness in him. And so marriage is supposed to cause people to look, it, to look on at a Christian, Christian marriage and see something of the gospel. See something of the love, security, and flourishing and enjoyment that mirrors the relationship between church and Jesus. And so in, in that understanding and within that context of the whole letter, how do we understand wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord? Which can often cause a kind of sense of nervousness. Well, what is this not about? This is not about losing freedom to express self or to make decisions or to flourish. It is not about being dominated or oppressed at all. There have been times when when verses like this have been taken out of all context and abused in that way. And and it was normal in Greco-Roman culture for women to be abused in that way. And Paul is expressly saying, no, that's not, that's not what a Christian home looks like. It is rather that, that wives are brought to respect and honor and trust a husband in the context of enjoying his loving, sacrificial, self-giving love in a household. And so the submission in view here is not passive obedience. 
And it is certainly not tolerating abuse. It is not being walked all over, and it's not being restricted for, from expressing yourself. Equally, it is not undermining your husband, constantly criticizing him, comparing him to others, emasculating him. It is willfully and joyfully receiving a husband's self-giving love and encouraging him to lead in that way. And we'll get practical about that in a minute. And in verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Again, in, in Ephesians 5, husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Lay down his life for her. And so, this takes the standard way beyond Greco-Roman culture, way beyond contemporary culture. Some men can tend towards imposing their own frustrations, failures, or fantasies on their wives, being harsh with them as if a wife is simply there to meet their needs, not to be a human being in their own right. Not so in a Christian household. Not so where Jesus is Lord. The role of a husband in marriage is to give himself sacrificially to his wife, just as Jesus did for the church, to love her selflessly, which means seeking her freedom and flourishing and ability to express herself, which means putting her interests front and center in decision-making. Perhaps making decisions, therefore, which means I'm going to choose her above myself, therefore. Finding ways to ensure she knows herself to be loved and valued and cherished. Listening to her, partnering with her, building her up. In such a context, it's safe for respect and trust and submission to a husband's leadership to happen. So what does this look like practically? It looks like thinking about how you, how you spend your time together. Diary planning. Becca and I are terrible at this. You know, life just happens sometimes and we haven't planned for it to happen because we haven't set about the kind of structure that maybe we need in diary planning. It, it looks like making sure we've got quality time and that can look different to, for different people. You know, quality time for me might be sitting down and watching something. For Becca, it might be talking, you know. And so... It's about ensuring we're doing that, honoring one another, listening to one another, also having fun together. You know, just having a lot of fun, being silly now and then, as well as sharing our deepest hopes and our deepest concerns and our deepest fears and our deepest anxieties, about building that level of trust, about exposing our heart, disclosing our heart to one another, just as Jesus has disclosed his heart to the church, and the church can disclose his heart to Jesus. Love languages is really helpful. Yeah, there is, there's this thing where you can go up and, and um, find out how do I most receive love or, yeah, how do I most receive love? Um, and it's things like acts of service or quality time or words of affirmation or physical touch and things like that. And, and it's important to know, actually, how do I receive love? And for me to know, how does Becca most receive love in order that I can show her she's really loved? And that can sometimes change over time. You know, when we first got married, mine was physical touch and words of affirmation. Nowadays, it's acts of service. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> and physical affirmation. We did the, we did the check sheet. And we're, acts of service. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, Becker's has always been gifts. You know? And quality time, physical touch. It's about being team together. Husbands and wives as a team. Playing to your strengths. Let me let you into a secret. This will be a surprise to you. DIY in the Blaber household, that's Becker's job. Okay? <laughs> Um, those of you who know me, it's not a surprise at all. Yeah, I know. She's really good at DIY. I'm not very good at that stuff. Decision-making. 
when we make decisions, we discuss everything to, to hear where each other are coming from. And I'm good at decision-making. And Becca is good at living with the decisions we've made. And so she helps me when I guess all ruminate over it and start picking it apart. Parenting, that's what we do together. We both invest into our kids and, and ensure that our kids are respecting each other and pursuing God and living with purpose together. That's what it means. And in that context, it is wonderful to be married, liberating each other. And so in our marriage, we're always going to want to ask ourselves, can we honestly offer up this interaction as worship to God? Am I honestly representing Jesus to my husband or my wife right now? That's what it looks like. How about then children? Well, in Colossians 3.20, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I think it is really significant that children are addressed as members of the church here. So all that's gone before in the context of the gospel coming to them that they may know themselves to be chosen, holy, and dearly loved, Allah, Colossians 3.12. In that context, value and status is given to them, and we disciple them to what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's a specific command given to children in the church. Obey parents. Now, kids find this hard, because like you and me, they have their own mind. And like you and me, they're prone to making bad decisions, because like you and me, they're sinful. Curved in on themselves but like you and me, they are so loved and we want them to know that. We really want them to know that. So, you know, the other day I was putting one of our kids to bed and she just says to me, Daddy, do not look under the pillow. Which is a great confession of some sort. And so look under the pillow and there's all sorts of things that shouldn't be under the pillow. And it's an opportunity there to teach obedience. Did I say you could do that? No, I saw just yesterday, one of them was literally stood on the kitchen um, work surface with her hand inside the sweet jar <laughs> and then you know I, I, and I walked in it's like <laughs> sorry <laughs> you know how do I respond at those moments how do I respond at those moments because I certainly did that kind of thing it's a moment to show love and grace but also to be clear about what boundaries are in order they might flourish now, Paul gives the, the motivation for obeying parents as because this pleases the Lord. The assumption is that children would want to please the Lord in a Christian household. So what do we need to do? Give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. That's the first thing we need to do. Teach them of him. Lead them constantly to him. Just, so, and so we, we regularly open up the Bible together or pray together. And, and that's an opportunity for them to see, oh, that's who God is. Oh, I do love him. Oh, I do want him. Oh, yeah, I want to do what he says because I trust him. So in that way, we start to, 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 to teach them towards obedience. It says, fathers, um, don't provoke your children leading to discouragement. What can that look like? Well, that can look like constant criticism, like nothing they do is ever good enough picking up on everything, expecting standards that you never adhered to. We can all be in danger of that. Comparing them to other children, comparing them to siblings, that's a certain way to discourage. Because actually, they didn't choose their personality. And what we're, we're not interested in changing their personality, we're interested in forming character through the gospel. 
imposing your moods on them. I'm bad at this. Some days I can say to Becca, the kids are being awful. With actually, maybe it's just that I'm feeling awful. Okay, and I'm projecting that onto them. Being self-aware. Always saying no just to make life easier for you. Again, that can be easy to do, can't it? Daddy, can I play with the water in the garden? I know this means mud pies. I know that means mess everywhere. I know that means lots more washing. No. And sometimes it's appropriate to say no, and other times it's appropriate to say, yes, that's fine, of course you can. Disproportionate discipline. You know, uh, punishing them above what, whatever has happened. Because in a moment, you've kind of reacted rather than actually proactively sought to show them something of love and grace and mercy. We're called instead to model the gospel, that they are valued and loved and accepted, not for who they should be or who they might eventually be, but for who they are here and now. Encouraging them, speaking positively to them. Giving them, yes, boundaries, that's really important. And one of my children is not having chocolate or sweets this weekend because of a hand that was in the sweets jar. And that's about helping them towards obedience, creating those boundaries. In the same way as when I play football, I just need to know where the goalposts are and, and when the ball goes out and what have you, because boundaries enable to function best. But also learning them, how they tick. My girls are all so different. They just tick differently. I need to, I need to study them and have fun and listen and be serious and be silly and read the Bible and watch Dora the Explorer and stuff. And in every activity with them, can I honestly present this to God as worship? Am I honestly representing Jesus to them now? Finally then, let's look at work briefly. Paul moves on from the household to work. He, talks, he mentions a little bit about slavery here. Now let's just make one comment so that it doesn't become dis- distracting. Slavery is not defended in the Bible. It's not prescribed. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.10, enslavers are condemned forced slavery but the the rights and the value of those who are working in in that kind of labor is is elevated beyond anything that had been known in that they are considered to be as valuable of the same status and honor as masters okay but there are principles in what paul's saying here that we can apply to our work whatever you do work heartily as for the lord not for men why is that because everything is conducted in the presence of God, and so everything is worship. Everything is worship. God has created you with certain gifts and passions and abilities. He has placed you at the moment in certain activities. It might be that you're primarily at home with kids. It might be that you're primarily studying. It might be that you're primarily in in work. It might be that you're looking for work. It might be that you're volunteering. Maybe that you've got some sort of role in the community at the moment. And all of those are opportunities to express yourself as worship to God and in service of people. And there's equal honor to every activity because there is no sacred and secular divide. It's all worship, all lived out to God. And so there's equal honor to every activity, whatever your employment or the label that the world gives you, you are primarily, as one who's centered your life on Jesus, a child of God and so able not to to use your gifts to prove yourself, but to use your gifts as an offering to others in enjoyment of how loved you are and valued you are and accepted you are. Everything is equally honorable. And so Eric Liddell, who went on to be a missionary in China, ran in the Olympics in 1924 and was famously said, um, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. 
which when I was doing part one yesterday, I couldn't quite relate to, being either fast or pleasurable at that moment, but I knew that it was doing me good. Sometimes we just, you are given something which you love doing, and in it, God's pleasure is found. And that's a good thing. It transforms your daily activity when you realize this is not something I just have to get through, but this is, in fact, a moment in the presence of God to offer him myself in worship and to receive from him grace. Remember, posture of receiving his faith and loving him, worship. So you can look at your to-do list tomorrow morning and tick off every one of your to-do lists as opportunity to meet with God, opportunity to worship him, opportunity to connect with him, an offering to him. That's true for me when I'm getting the kids dressed, when I'm driving to work, when I'm in meetings, when I'm answering emails, if I'm preparing a sermon, if I'm lecturing at the university, if I was looking after a patient, if I'm kicking a football, if I'm going for a run. All of it is worship. And finally, God has also organized it such that all of our working activities can be an expression of God's grace to people. Now, Martin Luther got hold of this. And he said that God has organized it in such that our activities are often used by a way of which God's grace comes to people so that he hides behind our activities and we become masks of God. So as an example, we're taught to pray, give us each day our daily bread, which in its most literal form could be understood as, I need bread in my table, something to eat. And, and of course, God could provide miracle bread each morning manner as has happened before but how does he normally answer that prayer well he uses the farmer who grows the wheat and the person who produces that into flour and the baker who makes all of it into a loaf of bread and then someone takes that to a supermarket and puts it on a shelf and you go and get it from the shelf and then someone in the counter can puts it through and you pay for it and then you get into your car which someone designed and someone else built and then you go along the road which was laid by someone and then you get into your house which was built by someone and in that context you have each day your daily bread and all those people without knowing it were masks of God sources of his provision his grace to you and in so doing their work is so honorable that's true of you in whatever you do in your daily activity whatever it is you're doing tomorrow it's an opportunity for you to worship God an opportunity for you to love people. An example for, for this for me in, in my secular work it was, was when I was looking after a patient who was dying and um, they were in a side room and I was asked, could you just go in and check out this chap? He was a very old gentleman. He had um, high flow oxygen on. He had uh, he was being treated for a complicated pneumonia. I was asked to go in and look after him just to see, see how he was doing. So I went in, I popped in. And I saw him, and I saw all this stuff that was attached to him. And I just felt for a moment it was right just to stop and just to smile at him. And so I did. I just took him by the hand. I just smiled. And um, he looked up at me, and, and he, he moved his mask, and he said to me, I like your face. <laughs> and no one's ever said that to me before. <laughs> and we just had a moment to connect. And it was, a, it was just a moment of him knowing he matters. He's loved, he's valued. On that occasion, there wasn't an opportunity to, to, to talk to him about Jesus, but I, as I left the room, I prayed for him, just a short prayer, and know that there was dignity in that interaction. It was a moment of worship and offering to God. It was a moment of service in love for people. 
And it was a moment of grace to be received as a gift. Everything is worship. Everything is service. Everything God has grace for in our households, in our work. Why don't we pray and we'll finish. Father God, I thank you that you created everything and after it you said, it is good. I thank you, Father God, that our fun and games are good. I thank you that our household interactions, they're good. And I think that they are opportunities to love one another and to figure out what it means to enjoy being equal in Christ and being different in our giftings and in our roles and our responsibilities and being able to enjoy being ourselves in you. And I pray, Lord God, that we as a church would be full of households where Jesus is known and loved and enjoyed, where the grace of God is experienced where children flourish and grow up knowing Jesus as Lord and God and Savior, where marriages are strong and flourishing and life-giving. Lord, I pray that we would be those who, in our singleness, know your grace and your love, know that we are still just as valuable as anyone else. I pray that we'd be those who know in our work that it is a commission from God. It's not an accident that we are where we are, but it's an opportunity to encounter you, to worship you, and to serve people. Father God, may we be those who know what it is in every circumstance to learn the secret of contentment in Christ, that whether we've got much or little, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so, Lord, we give our lives to you. We want you at the center. And we pray, Lord, would you bless us this week. May we go out from here, your people, ready to love you, ready to serve people, ready to continually receive from your fullness grace upon grace. In Jesus' name, amen.